Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 30th, 2018, we're continuing our series titled Knowing Truth, The Letters of John. And today's sermon, True Encouragement from Our True God, Pastor Ed Lutz is going to be teaching from 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. We hope you enjoy. In a world of disagreements, large and small, I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people to suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. Not only is this the last day of the, the year in terms of a Sunday, we're in, wrapping up 2018, but we are wrapping up the epistle of 1 John. If you have been around for the last four months, we've been going through the book of 1 John. Why don't you go ahead and turn there in chapter 5. It's all the way at the end of your New Testament. If you get to Revelation, you went a little bit too far, but we are in 1 John chapter 5. And it's been a great four months. I hope the Lord has challenged you and blessed you and encouraged you as you've gone through that time. And uh, if you are here for the first time, part of our review, you're going to find out, we're going to catch you up. One of the next to last verse is actually a review of the whole epistle. <laughs> so in one verse, we're going to summarize the whole book for you. So you're, you're in luck. You're, you're going to hopefully be able to kind of catch up and and walk out of here encouraged by what we study today. God's Word is living and active, isn't it? And so we have the privilege of, of opening this book, reading this book, and, and asking God to do a, a wonderful work. What I'd love to do is read the entire passage for you this morning, and then ask His blessing on our time. So we are in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death... He shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Will you pray with me? Father, we are just so grateful for your word. 
We just pray that as we dig into this passage today, the temptation is to think that we can master this, that we can understand every little thing about this passage, and yet we come with a sense of humility because this is such a rich text. May we not be so concerned with mastering this text as allowing it to master us, to transform us, that your word would cut to our hearts, encourage us, convict us, and a result of our time together, that Jesus would be lifted up. In his name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Hey, why don't you do me a couple favors? Take out your bulletin. Look at the cover of your jacket. Will Will you do that? It says the whole series, 1 John, is knowing truth. Not only are we learning wonderful truths about God and Jesus Christ, but you're going to learn by the end of today that not only are we learning things about God, but we are knowing truth incarnate. Jesus Christ himself is truth. And so that's what this whole passage is about today. And you also have an outline. I, I don't know, when you, when you set your phone and you want to go to a new destination, you pull up the GPS and you type in the directions. It always gives you a little bit of an overview of where you're heading before you start making those right and left-hand turns. And so what I've done for you here is I've given you a, an, a main idea. So that's there at the top. And what we are going to see really are two things with some several little points packed inside there. But John, in this closing section of this letter, wants to encourage us. You're going to walk out of here blessed, I hope. He wants to encourage you in all that Jesus Christ has done for you. And then he ends this book the same way he started, by exalting the person of Jesus Christ. John is going to lift up Jesus high before us, and the response is what we've been doing all morning, church. It's just worship. So I hope you have a sense of worship by the time we wrap up this letter. It's been a great journey. It's been a wonderful trip through the the epistle, and today is our last day, so let's dig in. I'm going to start in verse 13. First point of encouragement, if you have an outline there, is John is going to give us assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation, that's eternal life. That means that after we leave this earth, we know that we have life with God forever in heaven. What great assurance. And we see that in verse 13. I write these things to you, he says, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have, you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's certain that you have eternal life. So the question that we all need to ask today is, are we certain? Are you here? And do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life? Because John says we can know. Well, let's see what he says. Let's break this apart a little bit because it's such an important verse. He begins in verse 13, says, I write these things. And you may think, well, what are these things? A couple different options here. Some people see verse 13 as, as a summary statement that takes everything that John has written ever since chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up through chapter 5, verse 12. Everything that I've written to this point, I've written all of this so that you may know. So these things could, in fact, refer to the entire epistle. John's done this before. He wrote a gospel earlier in the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the fourth gospel in our New Testament. And if you get all the way to the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, 
He says, Jesus did amazing things. He did so many more miracles that I, it would take a, a lifetime to write them down. But all these things that I told you about Jesus Christ, he says in verse 31 of his gospel, I wrote these things that you may know that you have eternal life from the Son of God. So we've seen John do that. And so that's very possible that this is his summary statement, the way he's going to start wrapping up his letter. The immediate context, if you want to have a, an idea of what it could mean, and I think it's probably this as well. Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Thomas Slager taught verses 6 through 12. And so what is it that he wrote? What are those things? Well, if you just go up uh, a few verses, why don't you look in chapter 5, verse 7. Nice little summary here. He says, John writes in verse 7 of chapter 5, there are three that testify. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, let me tell you who Jesus is. And he takes you through the testimony. What are the things and who are the things, the people who testify about Jesus? Well, there are three, he says. The spirit and the water and the blood. Essentially, Jesus Christ came as God's son, came to earth. And what do we know from, from the gospel writer? What did John even, that he was baptized. So, and when he was baptized through the water, what we, also, we also know that the Spirit came upon him and empowered him. So it's in the, the, the baptism of Jesus, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in his life. And not only did he live and was baptized through, by John and received empowerment through the Holy Spirit, but he actually lived his entire life and died and shed his blood. So that's the reference to the blood. He was crucified. And if that's not enough testimony... He says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, people wrote about it. John was one of those. He says at the beginning of this epistle, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him. He really came. And some of us may be thinking, yeah, uh, that's a testimony of men, right? Have you ever tried to share Jesus Christ and they just don't believe you? You, you share your faith with somebody, well, that's what you say. The testimony of men isn't good enough for some people. Verse 9, there's even a greater testimony than men. The testimony of God is greater. And what is it? For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony of God. So how can we believe in Jesus Christ? Besides the spirit and his baptism and his death and the testimony of men, because this is God's story. It's the very character of God, the words of God, the testimony of God of who Jesus was. We can believe it because it's God himself who said it. It's God who did it. He sent his son. What an incredible weight of evidence that is to put our faith on. The very testimony of God. And so he says, it's these things that I write to you who believe, verse 13, in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's interesting, isn't it? He says, in the name. What is John 3.16? Say, you guys know that verse, John 3.16? For God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting. I thought we're supposed to put our faith in him, in the person, in him, in Jesus. What's this believing in the name? 
not the person. Well, the name signifies the person. And we're going to look at a couple passages, give you an illustration. And if maybe you've had children, you've raised some kids, and I remember when we used to drop our kids off, or maybe they went on a field trip, or they'd, they'd go to camp, or they'd stay at some friend's house for a few days. Maybe my wife and I were going out of town, and we'd say, remember, you're a Lutz. It's my last name. You're a Lutz. Act like it. <laughs> Which, if you know me, maybe that's not a good thing. But we would say, right? Act like a Lutz. Your name means something. See, your name, kids, represents our family. Your name represents who we are as people. It's a big deal. Philippians chapter 2. Why don't you turn there? Go to the left about a third of the way through the New Testament to the book of Philippians. Let's talk about the name of Jesus. How do you find Philippians? Well, when you, when you get the Galatians and all those letters, I used to remember General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I remembered it. As a, I need help <laughs> the older I get. But we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Jesus has come to earth. He's taken on flesh. The Son of God has taken on flesh in verse 8. And being found in human form, he, Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and I love verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. You see it? And bestowed on him the what? The name that is above every name. Verse 10, so that at the what? Name of Jesus, every knee should bow. All of human history, present and past. Can you imagine the scene in the presence of God? And Jesus gets announced. And just at the very name of Jesus, we hit the deck, man. We're on our knees, and we're, we're worshiping at the name of Jesus. That's the power of that name. You see, the, the name represents Jesus himself. It's a powerful verse. Acts chapter 4. Let's combine these two. Peter gives a sermon and he talks about the power of the name of Jesus to say. It's on your screen here. In the middle of this sermon, this is what he says. And there is salvation in no one else, that's the person, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the name of Jesus is his person. So we can be assured because of what God has said and what God has done that we can believe in the name of the Son of God. And when we do that, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life. What an amazing verse. We could go home right there, right? Is that enough assurance for you? Is that enough encouragement for you? Powerful, powerful verse. So why can we know we have eternal life because God said it and God did it? How do we know? By believing. Now, usually at this point, people kind of come up to us believers and say, oh, that's an arrogant statement. I can't believe that you Christians think you have the answer to the only way to God. Well, I would say that is a true statement if what we're saying is because of what we've said and what we've done, right? Arrogance is when... 
We, we take credit for ourselves. We pat ourselves on the back. We're bragging about what we do. You're right, that's arrogance. But why is this not arrogance? This is assurance because it's not based upon anything that we say. It's based upon the testimony of God. So this is not an arrogant statement to, to say that you have, are confident they have eternal life because it's not based upon us. It's based upon God's word, upon his testimony. Therefore, it's assurance of salvation. You see the difference? See the difference? What a marvelous word of encouragement. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Another point of encouragement. Let's, let's fill in that second blank. We can have confidence. He says that in verse 14. Confidence in intercession. Intercession is just a big word for prayer. I needed an I-O-N so it would rhyme with salvation. <laughs> confidence and intercession. When we go before God and we pray at the foot of his throne, we can be confident that not only does he hear us, but he answers us. But what's the key? How do we need to pray? According to his will. Ah, there's the catch. I knew there was a catch, right? Some of us might be thinking, man, I've prayed... God leaves himself an out here why he doesn't have to answer my prayer. Can I ask you to flip that around a little bit? God is telling us how he can answer our prayers. He is a good God. He is our Father. He wants to answer. And he even tells us how we can be sure of that request. He tells us, pray according to the will of God. His intention, his desire is to grant your request. So he tells us, ask according to his will. I want to suggest to you that the difficulty for us as Christians is not praying, but it's trusting. Would you agree? Write down a couple passages. Just Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah 55, and then Deuteronomy chapter 29. Two passages from the Old Testament, but they're really profound. Isaiah 55 says this. So imagine standing here and looking up at the stars. As far as the stars are above the earth, and, and from our perspective, the universe seems infinite, right? <laughs> it's just so vast. As high as the stars are above the earth, Isaiah says that the, God says, so are my ways and my thoughts above yours. See, we think we have it figured out or we're trying to, to figure out how this thing all fits together and why God does this and why God doesn't do that. And God says, man, your thoughts are down here. My ways and my thoughts are so far above you can't even comprehend. Deuteronomy chapter 29, another amazing passage. He says, some things God reveals to us, but the secret things belong to him. Is it possible that God knows what he's doing and, <laughs> and maybe we don't have it figured out? It completely. Does God have a will? Is God accomplishing his purpose? He certainly is. God's ways, his purposes are not our ways. The issue for us, believers, is that do we trust him? Do we trust God enough to surrender our will to him? Romans 8, 28. You know that verse, right? But God works all things together for good 
to those who love him and are called according to his purposes, right? I think, well, is there an example of this in Scripture? Do we have an example of somebody who they know what they want, they're asking God, they're interceding, I mean, they're, they're uh, to God, they're praying, please, Lord, answer this. But then they surrender their will, realizing that it's not their will that needs to be done, but it's God's will that they want in their life. Jesus Christ himself. If you read the gospel accounts, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he's in the garden and he's praying and he says this, God, if there's any other way to let this cup pass from me. See, Jesus realizes that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to suffer. And he's going to take the cup of God's wrath. The full brunt of God's wrath for sin is going to be placed upon him. And he says, if there's any other way, Lord, to redeem mankind than suffering the fullness of your wrath, can you let this cup pass for me? But what does he say right after that? Not my will, but your will. And you ought to write down Luke chapter 22 because Luke is the only gospel writer who says this. Right after Jesus prays that, it says that an angel from heaven comes and ministers to Jesus. I love that. I love that. Some of us are sitting here going through some really tough times, facing life-threatening illnesses, broken relationships, I don't get it, God. <laughs> I don't know why we're going through this. But what do we need to do? First, ask yourself, do you believe that he's good? And will you trust him? And realize that passage in Luke, as God sent an angel to minister to Jesus in the midst of his, his suffering there, I believe God walks with us. God is with you through it. Isn't that good news? I want to give you a couple points of encouragement here as you pray. First, when we pray, and we want to pray according to God's will, ask in faith. Ask in faith. It's on the screen here. Persevere. Be persistent in prayer. Have faith. Keep asking. Be persistent. Pray out of an obedient heart. Make sure your, your, your heart and your mind is clear from sin and then pray for what God wants because if he's ultimately good and he is the one who is true and just don't you want what he wants for you instead <laughs> doesn't he have the perfect plan see I think what it is we we, we kind of have such a finite view of of our lives and our history and the scheme of everything some of us might be thinking yeah but you don't know man I've got a a, a, a son or a daughter and they've been walking away from God and I've been praying so long I've been praying for God to bring them back can I just encourage you I don't think we know how long the prodigal son was away some of us think it was a week sometimes maybe a month it could have been years see in God's time he's working out a plan have faith be persistent Make sure your heart is right before God and surrender your will. And when we do that, we have the requests made to him. Do you see that? Philippians 4, 6, and 7, one more verse. I'm sorry I'm, I'm giving you so much, but this is so rich, such a rich verse. You guys know Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7? Have you memorized this verse? Paul writes here, when we pray, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and this is a key, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
And when you do that, he says, you've got to have unbelievable peace about what it is you're going through. But look what's in red. When are we supposed to give thanks? Before or after we make our request? Before. How is it possible to give thanksgiving to God even before we ask? Well, I think it's possible because you know that he's good and he has a purpose and you trust him. And because you know he's good and because you can trust him, you can give thanksgiving even before you ask. And when you do that, that's where God gives you that peace that we need. What great encouragement there. Well, let's keep going. Not only does God offer us eternal life, assurance of salvation, he promises that he answers prayers when we pray according to his will. And now what he does is he gives us an example of what that looks like. I'm just going to look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life for those who commit sins that do not lead to death. What in the world is this? <laughs> this verse, 16a, the complete verse, we just read half of it. It's one of the more difficult passages in the, Old, in the New Testament. So thanks, Bob. Thanks for giving me this text. <laughs> but we're going to do our best to kind of tear it apart, okay? You ever been to like a sporting event or maybe a concert and you, you sit, the Suns game, right? And you sit in those nosebleed sections. Some of you back there, nosebleed sections way in the back, right? But you couldn't, you couldn't afford to get tickets, so you're so far away. You kind of have an idea of what's going on. You can see it. You can kind of hear some of the sounds. But man, it's not the same as if you were down on the court side or if you were in the front row. Imagine being in the huddle and listening to the play call. Or what if you went to a musical and you're actually in the orchestra pit? See, I think what the problem is here is we look at a passage like this and we need to bring some humility to this text. Certainly John knew what he was saying. The people in his church knew what he was saying. Matter of fact, he says it's visible. You know who these people are. You, you can tell who they are. So they undoubtedly understood what this meant. We are 2,000 years removed. But we have some tools Right? We do our best, we study, we look at commentaries, we look at context, we go to other places so we can do our best. But the reality is some people aren't really completely sure what this verse means. What does it mean a sin not to death and a sin that leads to death? What does that mean? Well, one of the things you do is you, you need to ask yourself, how does he use some of these, these words? Does he, does he use this type of language, anything else? Did John write anything else? He certainly did. He wrote an entire gospel. And so we get a little bit of a hint on what this might mean. So verse 16, if anyone sees his brother, first word, brother. Now be honest, brother in 1 John may be believer, may be unbeliever. If you read through 1 John, John uses the word brother to refer to people who are just in this community. And we know through our study that not everybody who, went, who lived in this community was a believer. John tells us that. So it could be used in a broader sense, but I think it's clarified here when we get to the verse, the, the section of the verse that said, a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. Two more key words, death and life. Does John use death and life anywhere else? Well, here's the thing. All through this epistle, the words death and life refer to spiritual death, eternal separation from God. If you go to John's gospel, other than the two times that he's talking about um, the crucifixion, 
and the martyrdom that the disciples would suffer, John always uses death in connection with life. And when he uses the word life in his gospel, it's always talking about spiritual eternal life. Matter of fact, 34 out of 36 times in his gospel, spiritual life, spiritual life, eternal life. So if I were to rephrase this, I believe we could read this verse. If anyone sees his brother, a believer, committing sin, not leading to spiritual death, eternal separation from God, he shall ask and God will give him eternal life to those who don't commit sins that do not lead to spiritual death. So what is the sin that Christians can commit but doesn't result in eternal separation from God? I say every sin that we commit, right? We have eternal life. He says in John chapter 5, verse 24, that believers, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we have passed out of death into life. He says the same thing in chapter 3 of this letter. So as believers in Christ, we have passed out of. We no longer have to worry about eternal death after we leave this earth. We have passed into eternal life. That's such good news. The sin that does not lead to eternal death is just a sin that we commit as Christians. Why? Because God forgives us. God forgives us. Flip back to chapter 1. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. Going all the way back to verse 9. Are you there? It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So we, we do sin, right? But why don't we suffer <laughs> the sin that leads to death? Because of the beautiful truth of the next verse. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a defense attorney, one who intercedes on our behalf. That's Jesus Christ. See, we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And when we sin, when we commit those sins, Jesus intercedes. So the sin, I believe that John is saying here, when we see a brother committing sins that don't lead to death, we're supposed to pray. God, you've given them life. Praise God. Man, they're missing out on that abundant life, right? And eternal life is not only present, but it's also a present reality. And we all know people in our church or in our relationships who maybe are not walking as they should. Maybe they've drifted away from the Lord and they're missing out on the blessings of God. God will give them life. We know that. We see that. But what are we supposed to do when we see a brother and sister in sin? Call the church. Call the pastor. Send an email. Or you could go to your small group and say, man, guess what I just saw? We need to pray for this, this person because, man, they were doing some really bad stuff. See, we... We gossip, but we mask it as a prayer request. No, pray. Pray for your brother and sister. Praise the Lord that he's going to give them life, but pray for your brother and sister who's committing sin. And he says the second part of this, 16b, there is sin that leads to death. Well, to be consistent, it says there is sin that leads to spiritual death. What is that? There's sin that leads to eternal separation from God. Well, some people believe it's just lack of belief, right? If you're someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ, the Scripture tells us we, we are currently, we're, we're dead spiritually. I think a couple other options that maybe 
most people would tend to lump in here would be one. Could be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If, you, if you've been around the church, that might be a familiar phrase. We see blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, Mark chapter 4. What is that? Well, when Jesus is doing all these miracles and teaching, he, he has some enemies and, and the religious leaders are saying some things about him and it's so harsh that they, they actually say, these deeds that you're doing, all these miracles, you're doing this in the power of Satan. Can you imagine <laughs> being face to face with Jesus Christ and accusing him of doing things in the name of Satan? And Jesus says, if you commit that sin, that's an eternal sin. Could be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you think this is spiritual death. Could be apostasy. What's apostasy? Apostasy is when people who have claimed to be believers, but they're really not. Judas Iscariot, right? The one who walked for three years with Jesus would be an example of an apostate. Claimed to be a follower of Christ, but eventually just turned his back, walked away. Not true believers. And when we look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, here's a, a verse on apostasy. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, right? You, you know full well the gospel. You know full well who Jesus is. But if you sin deliberately, even in knowing that, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that can consume the adversary. So some people say, Maybe this is the sin that leads to death is apostasy. Can I propose to you that I think we already know what this sin is? Because John's been writing about it the whole time, right? There are people in this community who say that they're part of the body, that they say they're believers in Jesus Christ, but they're not. And not only are they not true believers, but they take that a step further and they start teaching heresy and promoting false teachings about Christ and besides that they go one more step and they start leading people astray look at this in chapter 2 we, we just kind of paraphrase this section for you it says that they went out from us but they were not of us they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us see this is a visible sin right you can see these people there it is who is the liar but he who one denies that Jesus is the Christ this is the antichrist he who denies the Father and the Son. Now John says at, the, at this verse, at the end of this verse, says um, there is sin that leads to death. I believe it's this, this counterfeit, heretical view of who Jesus is and the propagation of all kinds of false teaching here. And he says, I'm not saying don't pray for that. I mean, you, you're more than welcome to pray for those people, <laughs> but probably not gonna do any good. Instead, pray for your brothers and sisters who you know are in sin or have a relationship with Jesus Christ that need to come back. Isn't that wonderful? That's the example. Pray that way. And you may be thinking, but I've been praying for so long. God hasn't answered my prayer. Stay with it. Ask in faith. So we have the assurance of salvation. We have confidence that God will answer our prayers when we pray according to God's will. Third, we have protection from the evil one. The promise of protection. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God, that's us, I hope. If you know Christ as your Savior, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. We've seen that all throughout, right? There are people who are claiming to be believers, but man, if you look at their lifestyle, all they do is they, they're in habitual sin. They say they're of the life, but man, their lifestyle says otherwise. 
But he says here, we know, uh, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God, that's Jesus Christ, protects him, the believers, and the evil one does not touch him. Man, that's good news. 1 John 4, 4, you know it. Greater is he that is in you than what? He who is in the world. Satan may be the God of this world. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but he's not the God of us. Isn't that good news? We have protection from the evil one. So that's the first part. What tremendous encouragement that we have assurance of salvation. We have confidence when we pray. We have protection from God. And I love how he is going to end this passage. We're going to end with worship. Exalting Jesus Christ. And we know in verse 20 that the Son has come. The Son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we may know him who's true and we are in him who is true in the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. You see, if you believe anything other than what this verse says, you're committing idol worship. Jesus is the true God. He's the Son of God. He is eternal life. And anything else that takes our attention is idol worship. Worship the Son of God. Now, masterful verse. This is the review verse. You ready? In one verse, he tells us three things about Jesus, and he refutes a false belief that was being propagated by these false teachers. We know, verse 20, that the Son of God has come. See, there was a heresy that said that, that, that Christ could not come in the flesh. See, there's this idea of dualism that the spiritual is good and the flesh or the physical is evil. There's no way that God could come and, and take on flesh because if he did that, that would be evil and the, and the Christ can't be evil. He had to be holy. And John says, no, the Son of God has come. He's in the flesh. That's true. And then he says he's given us understanding so that we may know him as true. See, there the... the, the uh, the false teachers here, the Gnostics, they, they believed they had the special spiritual insight, that they, they had the secret things of God that only, that only they could understand. And he says, no, we all have complete understanding because of Jesus. And then he says, he is the true God in eternal life. All right, if Jesus came in the flesh, he can't be, he can't be God because materials is, is evil. He says, no, Jesus Christ is true God and eternal life. And don't fall prey to any other teaching or that's just idol worship. Isn't that a marvelous verse and a wonderful way to wrap up? See, he begins by worshiping the person of Jesus Christ and he ends this letter the same way. Brothers and sisters, we can know truth. <laughs> and that truth is the person of Jesus Christ. My question to you this morning is, do you know him? We're going to have the band come up and we're going to have communion. What a wonderful day to end the year by celebrating what Jesus did. But as they come up, can I ask you to do me a favor and just kind of bow your head for me for a moment? I want to pose two questions. If you're a Christian and you're struggling, you're doubting, you realize that you've been seeking after your own will and there's a a fear of letting go and releasing your will to God's will, will you confess that and get your heart right and surrender your will to the Lord? If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but you heard the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth, took on flesh, lived a sinless life, and he took our sin, 
that we deserved, and he took it upon himself on the cross. And not only did he pay your price for sin on the cross, but he came back to life. Praise God for that. If you believe that, would you pray, seek the Lord, pray repentance, and ask him to forgive you and tell him that you believe in who Jesus Christ is. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was portrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance for me. You see, brothers and sisters, we have eternal life because of the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. Do this and remember him. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing right now. We are proclaiming and exalting the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the great encouragement. Thank you for the assurance of what it means to be a child of God. I pray that as your people, we could seek your will above our own. And if there are those here today who feel you tugging on their heart, that they would come forward after the service and ask more questions about who Jesus is. We give you thanks for the price that he paid. This is his name we pray. Amen.